0: Good evening. Thank you all for coming. Nice to see such a sizable crowd on Friday night. Sometimes we can find other things to do. I'm excited to be here. It's been a great two nights so far and got the third one coming Uh, for Psalm 130 is what we've been studying. Rodney has asked that we read Psalm 78 for a beginning this evening. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 78. This Psalm looks like a history of the nation of Israel. God provided everything for them and they rejected him. but he still kept providing for them. Psalm 78, the mascal of Asaph, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan he divided the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand as in heap in the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, "'Can God furnish a table in the wilderness?' Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this, and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God, and trusted not in his salvation, though he had commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven." Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls, like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but... While their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity in their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their Redeemer, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up at all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away, and cometh not again." How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent divers sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase into the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to the hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence. And smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength, in the tabernacles of Ham. But he made his own people to go forth like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely, so that they feared not. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And when he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain which his right hand had purchased, he cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them in inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents." "'Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, "'and kept not His testimonies, "'but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. "'They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, "'for they provoked Him to anger with their high places "'and moved Him to jealousy with their graven images.' When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph, and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Let's bow in prayer. Almighty God, righteous...
1: Good evening. We're going to try the slides. I have a little trouble connecting. Give it a whirl. Still saying I don't have a signal. much anyway. Good evening. Have a lot of visitors here, I know, and uh, this week we've intended to go through Psalm 130. And go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. Thank you, Brother Kidron, for um, reading Psalm 78. Psalm 78 has been, to me, a, uh, a psalm that I like to go back to and kind of ground myself in what do I mean by that? Well, the, the thing that I love about the Psalms, and that I hope that many of you do if you haven't already, is Psalms are not only for worship and encouragement. I, and I think, I think that when we think of that in our psyche, that, that kind of typifies when we think about the Psalms. We, we think about them collectively as praise and worship, and it is that. In fact, many of them were sung, and maybe all of them were metered in a certain way, and we've lost some of that through history and, and the way to, to orchestrate that. I will say this, that the Psalms are, are rich in teaching, and as Brother Kidron said, in, in history, but not just in, in historical narratives, but they, they find tangible doctrine there. There's, there's something to be said about being taught and having a life lived in the Psalms. Because it expresses uh, a manner of speaking in in ways that we we don't, maybe, are not able to do on our own. Sometimes we need the scriptures to order our thoughts. We need the, the scriptures to tell us how to think. How to think about God. How to think about ourselves. And I think that the songs... Uh, in the psalms and the, the narratives and the, the words that are expressed in the psalms I think they do an excellent job of doing that is because they, they capture maybe emotion and can convey things that we know that we're going through but when we see them on paperwork that, that expresses my heart that expresses my thought and I think in, in Psalm 130 that's certainly the case the thing that we find in Psalm 78 is it's a narrative mostly comprised of history and and as the 56th verse says yet they tempted and provoked the most high God and kept not his testimonies we look at that as a span of history that comprised the children of Israel but I'm here to tell you brothers and sisters that that statement and yet they kept not his testimonies and they they continued to provoke him continues and will continue until the end of days and I find that when we, we look in the Scriptures like we are tonight in Psalm 130, that we have to have that in our minds because it's easy for us to look at others, take the view off of ourselves and look to others and say, I can't believe that they're doing that. I can't believe that that's the way that they're doing life. I can't believe that's the way they see God and, and leave our out of the picture. And brothers and sisters, there is so much to be said by understanding that we're there. The relatability of, of the children of Israel and their backsliding and their transgressing is so relatable to today. John Owen says this, and he was contemporary with Bunyan. I've quoted him many times. He lived 16th century. And he wrote, I do not understand how a man can be a true believer in whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. I do not understand how a man can be a true believer in whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. I think that's the case. It really is. And I think the older you get, the more you see that in your family and in your own heart. But certainly in the context of Psalm 130, this sin is the trouble that we find. Contextually, we were there Wednesday as we went through and we exposited this psalm. And I want to look at it again together as a church tonight. I'm going to read these eight verses and then we're going to to take out the third verse and we're going to kind of hold it up before this congregation. And I want to look at what this means. Psalm 130, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice, and let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning, I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And as we've said and will continue to say, this is a song of degrees or a song of ascents. But this is a progressive song in its nature of being built on each of these lines. Each of these couplets and 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. As it builds from the lowest of the depths into the highest of highs. From out of the depths crying unto God for your sin all the way until we find in the 8th verse he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And this is where we're headed. So we see this together as a church. Tonight we're in the 3rd verse. And I've I've wanted to, to bring these verses out um, as, as we see them and we're kind of building a message. Because when we look at this and it's easy to read over Psalms or any portion of text and just pass it by, and not root yourself in there, and not meditate. And that's, I think, one of the things, and this is kind of an aside, but it's towards this point, is finding ourselves in the text of Scripture when we read it, we meditate on it, and let it soak in and marinate. These things should be in our minds, should be in our hearts. And we encourage you to do that. Just take a verse, take a psalm, take a chapter, a portion of text, something that, that a... a, a Hymn writer, or somebody has has spoken and bring these to your mind and, and times, meditations. In this third verse, we find the psalmist writes this If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And right off the bat, this picture is a question. There's a question at the end of this verse who shall stand? Now contextually we can recognize in this text it says if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. This is dealing with sin. This is his recognition even outside himself because he doesn't say I'm not able to stand or I couldn't stand. He makes this universal approach and it says who shall stand. And it's a question that I hope by the end of this hour that we can all answer in the affirmative and understanding who can stand. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? I want to turn to number 16, and there's various portions of text that we could go to. But I want to pull this up for our consideration this evening, because I think that when we we see... Um, <laughs> This question, I think that we need a graphic illustration of what it is to stand before the Lord's holiness and His righteousness. Number 16. Commonly known as the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, but it's so much more than that in many ways. And I, I want to I preface this in just a minute here. Time separates us, everyone in this room, from this text. It separates us in the knowledge of their customs. It separates us in what are we thinking visually? What are we picturing in our minds? This is not a blockbuster production. So what you're getting out of this text is how you're, how you're interpreting it, how you're visualizing it. The manner of dress. But the thing, that, and and really other than what I've already said about Psalm 78, is I want to reinforce that the the men in this text and the women and the children in this text are much like, if not exactly the same, that we see amongst us. This text says men of renown, in just a few verses, that are going to stand up and rebel against Moses. I want you to I want you to think about that. Men of renown, men of renown are people that are well spoken in the community. Well spoken, not just in the community, in the Gentile community, this is the Jewish community. These are men from the tribe of Levi and Reubenite and, and Reuben and, and these are the children of Israel. This is who we're talking about. So these men of renown are men that know the word of God, they are able probably to recite. So many of the old texts recite God's law. These men were probably good-looking men, some of them. Some were tall. Some were short. Probably some were athletic. Probably some weren't so great-looking. Probably some were very good businessmen. Probably some were uncles... of of people in this community, they would be men that you would trust with your possessions. When we stop to think about this and we don't just gloss over it, this becomes a very real text. And we understand that this rebellion comprised a lot more than just some nameless, faceless people. These were souls that actually lived at a time. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On the son of Pelath, son of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. That fascinates me. These were well-respected men they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye you yourselves up above the congregation of the Lord. You see what they're saying? They're saying, you have to understand, you guys are not more holy. You should not be set apart any more than the rest of us. There's no reason that you two need to be out in front being the Lord's mouthpiece. You don't need to be speaking and intercessing for others. We can do it too. We're, We're just the same. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face and he spake unto Korah and unto all the company, saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show you who are his and who is holy and will cause him... To come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. Then he gives him this instruction in the sixth verse. This do take ye censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. You've overstepped the bounds. You don't know what you ask. Moses said to Korah, here, I pray you, sons of Levi. Does it seem like a small thing unto you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? You see, they already had a place. They were already offering and coming before God. It wasn't if God had not already exalted them and set them aside for his work and his Self and his perfect will. And yet, Moses here is reminding them, is it not enough? And he hath brought thee near to him, and and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also. We talk about pride. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. And they're like, No, we're not listening to you. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except that thou makest thyself altogether a prince over us? This bitterness and this hatred toward Moses, and forgetting that God's hand was upon this whole thing of bringing them out of Egypt. It's like we heard in Psalm 78. And they forgot God and provoked him. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering I have not taken. Even one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. And take every man his censer, and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, there, thou also, and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire in them, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all of the congregation." Just picture that. This assembly standing before the congregation of the Lord and the the glory of the Lord appears. I don't know what that would have looked like, but I'm sure it was bright. I'm sure it was heavy. I'd imagine it was a fearful thing. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin that thou will be wroth with all the congregation? And that verse, the 22nd verse, it speaks to me so much as Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore as the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. You see these things time and time again that, that are brought forward. Shall one man sin and be wroth with the whole congregation and they all die? I think back to the very beginning in the garden when Adam had yet but one commandment and he failed. He failed to live up to God's expectation and he sinned and transgressed against the almighty God. And sin and death came upon all man even to this day and going forward. So the question of that is yes. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went to Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all of their sins. I want you to picture this standing out in front of their tents. Even as a child, I remember hearing this story and it was so graphic. In the 27th verse, they got up from the, tab- the tabernacle of Korah, <clears throat> from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. You know, I've, I've thought, you know, this seems to happen pretty fast in the text. But I imagine with all of the anger and the bitterness that these children, the little ones, and their wives had heard maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, these murmurings of these men, their fathers, and their husbands, and their bitterness and anger towards Aaron and Moses. Now they're standing outside, probably trusting their daddies, probably trusting their husbands. Some very innocent souls. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done of them of mine own hand. And if these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up, and all that appertained to them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as He had made the end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened up her mouth, and swallowed them up in their houses, and all of the men that appertained to Korah, and all of their goods... And they and that all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation and all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them for they said lest the earth swallow up us up also. And there came out of a fire from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that offered incense. You know read that and that impacts me. I didn't see it. That's really horrible. That's really graphic illustrations of God's wrath against men that thought that they could stand on their own merit before God, not appointed of Him, standing before God, and they were killed. But what is amazing to me in the text is we're not even there yet, is that the the congregation surrounding this see this. They actually run in fear away from this event because they don't want to die. Right? Was anybody else impressed by that fear? By what we just read? <clears throat> and it says in the 36th verse, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning and scatter the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls... And let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they offered them before the Lord. Therefore, they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. Eliezer the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they were that were burnt off the burnt that were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron shall come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as the company of the Lord, as the Lord had said to him by the hand of Moses. And note this on the very next day, the very next day after this. Almost impossible thing, as Moses said, that it never happened before, happens and swallows them up. But on the morrow, all of the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses, against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. You talk about fickle-minded people. First, they say, You're no greater than us. You and Aaron are no bigger, no greater. We're all like you. In fact, you take too much upon yourselves. And now, they're blaming... Moses for acting like God. You've killed them. They're not even seeing God in the picture. You killed these men. You've killed the people of the Lord. In the 42nd verse, it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. We've got a problem, folks. Now we have a congregation that is guilty of sedition. Again, blaming God's chosen for killing iniquitous men. For rising up against God, we have a congregation that's guilty. Punitively, they're going against God by going against Aaron and blaming Aaron for the sins of these men and the deaths of these men. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. The Lord spake unto Moses. And this is where we're we're going to come back in our thought in, in the third verse very quickly. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get ye up from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And we see the heart of Moses. Remember Moses saying, There's going to be one like me that shall arise, a prophet like me, and to him you will hear. Like when I read this, I get goosebumps because I see our Savior in in this. In this aspect here. Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them. And there is wrath going out from the Lord, and the plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And the 48th verse says, He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. That is powerful. That is a powerful visualization of what our Savior did. It's a powerful visualization of of the iniquity of men against a holy God saying we can stand. We can stand before God and the plague went out and note that in just a moment I don't know how far he had to go. But in that moment, it says they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that had died about the matter of Korah. That's a lot of people to die that quickly. Can you imagine? I mean, in some of the small towns in Ohio, that's the whole town, if not a couple. That's remarkable. And Aaron returned unto Moses under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the plague was stayed. There's a time in Revelation where our Lord will return for the great day of wrath come and who is able to stand? We think, and I have heard so many men say I'm going to sort it out when I get there. When I speak to God. When I speak to Jesus. And I'm going to tell them what I think. I'm going to tell them what I've done. That is the most foolish saying. That anybody could ever utter. These were men of renown. These were men in the congregation of Israel. Some that they were already offering. In the tabernacle. And if God's not going to respect their. Offering of incense and strange fire. He's not going to. Accept some random man that says you know what I gave some money to a guy at dollar general I help at the Haiti mission I'm a pretty good person I go to church about every Sunday especially on Easter and Christmas I tell people that I meet about Jesus is that enough to save you is that enough to stand before a holy God I'm afraid it's not Malachi 3, 2. I'm going to turn there. You're welcome to. The last book of the Bible. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, and even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, shall he come, saith the Lord of hosts. I want you to see this question as being asked again by another man by another man who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appeareth who can stand before a holy God a just God who shall stand when he appeareth for he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller soap Because when he comes, he cleanses the dross, he cleanses the impurity, he cleanses the iniquity. And brothers and sisters, if you're not righteous, you will be consumed in your iniquitous hearts with you. That's the truth. That's what we find in Scripture. But you see, the thing of it is, is our psalmist in Psalm 130, he asks a question. He says, who shall stand? If the Lord shall mark iniquities, who shall stand? Who's going to stand at the great day of judgment? Somebody's going to stand. And how are they going to stand? You can turn your Bibles to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. This psalm is a personal favorite of mine, although I probably haven't read it to the the family much. My mother was not a theologian, and I love you, Mom, if you're watching. But she, uh, she read to me a lot, and she'd read out the scriptures, especially the psalms. A lot of times she'd read out Psalm 23, and I think it was as much for her as it was for me, but I remember I'd usually drift off in this psalm psalm 24 because she just keep reading i think probably read 25 i never remember that but she would read these psalms psalm 23 and psalm 24 and psalm 24 always stuck out to me because it didn't make any sense to me at all i don't know how you how you guys are the things that make no sense are the things that stick in your mind like i don't get it it's just weird I want to read it together as a church here. It says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. And then this ask another question, too, actually. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? You see in the commonalities, this question gets asked again and again because there's understanding that God is holy and His dwelling place is holy and no sin can dwell in His presence. And the thing that stuck out to me and always has is verse 4. Because he answers it. The psalmist answers and says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Well, When I was a little kid... You know how parents are, wash your hands. I mean, you wash your hands before everything, right? How many of you kids that don't answer it out loud, you're just like, I, I just came inside from playing. Why do I have to wash my hands before I eat? I gotta wash my hands after I eat. There's a lot of hands washing, especially now with COVID, poor children. But the thing of it is, is I knew as a kid that my hands were dirty. I knew that, I just didn't wanna wash them. I've been in the sandbox, I've been playing in the gravel and the dirt, And playing with frogs and you get the idea so when i look at this and i take this at at, at just face value he that hath clean hands is the one that can ascend into the hill of the lord we've got a problem we've got a big problem and brothers and sisters that simple mind that i had when i was a young kid is the same that is exactly the context we don't have clean hands we don't have a pure heart We're iniquitous. The heart is deceitfully wicked and desperately wicked and who can know it? Brothers and sisters, we are born with sin. We are born in the Adamic nature. We have hearts of idolaters and fornicators and lusters. Men like that stood up against Moses and Aaron, seditioners. Stand up against authority. Haters of men evil speakers of dignities like the president even we're not great we're not even good we're sinful and we'd be cast off if it were not for Christ it says he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation this is the generation of them that seek him that seek thy face O Jacob and I understand, but you have to understand as a minister, the context of this is dealing with the righteous man. There is a righteous man that can stand. It says, this is the generation of them that seek them, that seek thy face, O Jacob. And it says in these last verses, and these are, this is something that I just I couldn't grasp. It didn't make sense to me because I'd never seen anything like it says, lift up ye heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, the everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. He's the King of glory. Amen. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists. Who hath bound the waters and the garments. Who hath established the ends of the earth. And what is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell. Brothers and sisters the man that is able to stand before God. Is the same man that came down from heaven. He is able to ascend again into the holy place. Because he secured our salvation. Because He didn't take on Him the seed of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Brothers and sisters, you know what that means. In the presence of angels, men fall on their face. Imagine in the presence of God, and yet God Himself, Christ, our Lord, took on Him the sin of us all. was able to do what no man can do, live a perfect life, and go back, After he had given the perfect sacrifice and present himself to his Father in heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is his name, the Lord of hosts. Hebrews says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How many of us have been subject to bondage and fear of death and were standing there at the precipice knowing that we would be consumed in a minute like Dathan, Korah, and Abiram, and the little ones if it were not for God, if it were not for God's hand to pull us out and to ascend into the holy place and cleanse us as a refiner's fire and a fuller soap and make us clean Brothers and sisters, that man that's able to stand is Christ Jesus. But because of Christ Jesus, he is able to make us able to stand with him. Everyone that has named his name, it says, and deliver them who through fear of death. Brothers and sisters, I just, I marvel. I marvel at that. Because those are the things that I take for granted. These are the things that are in the pages of our scripture, the power that is there. I'm going to read a little further. I'm tried to quote it, but I'm not going to. But it says, Wherefore, in all things that behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest, and to things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, and that he himself has suffered, he is able... To help them that are also tempted. Brothers and sisters this is a full circle. Not only did he secure our, our sin payment. But he says I am going to make a way as a high priest. That you can intercede. That I can intercede for you. That you can speak to my Father in heaven. I love you that much. My Father loves you that much. Not only to redeem you from your iniquitous heart and your iniquitous way. But to put your feet on a solid rock. And only then I will send my spirit and I will seal you into the day of redemption. Brothers and sisters, he's made every provision for us to come to God. And to stand in his holy place. And he didn't just say, I don't want you to just stand in my holy place. I don't want you to just stand before you. I've prepared a place for you. And where I'm going, I will come again and receive you into my place that you may be there with me. And where I am, there you may be also. And brothers and sisters, I mean, wow. When you think about that, when you consider what God has done, he's not only saved and secured us, but he's given us above and beyond. That's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called compassion. It's called love. Whatever it is, I want it. And I know you do too, and we have it. And we have it in Christ that we can stand before him. I've often wondered what it would be like What it would be like, what it will be like, to stand before God. Truly, and I think I would fall on my face. I know I would. I'd say, Lord, you know my sin. You know I'm a hypocrite. You know, so many times I try on my own, and I can't. I see that I fail. I see that I wonder, oh, you've been faithful. But I thank you for your son that he's bringing me here, all that you've done this whole way. Your spirit has secured me. Isaiah 45 says, Who hath declared this from ancient times? Who hath told it from that time? Have I, have not I the Lord? There is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. I take comfort that there is none beside God. Because he doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need me to secure my salvation. He doesn't need my religion. He doesn't need my church. He's able to uphold me with his right arm. And I see the power of Christ in, in that There, I am a just God and a Savior. Brothers and sisters, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a, a couple things. I'm thankful that tonight I got to meet tonight and be able to look at the text. We got to see Psalm 24 because I hope that when you see Psalm 24 that you see him as a conquering Savior, that you see him riding in victorious, that you see the King of Kings being welcomed in, and rightfully so. I don't understand how... Through death, he can destroy death. That blows my mind. But I know that death is powerful and death is coming. Brothers and sisters, it's a death that we should fear is the second death. But not to those that have been secured. And that's where we proclaim the gospel of Christ and let it go out. Let it be known that there is a conquering Savior that is able to beat and has beat death and he will He's triumphant and he's reigning. What shall we sing?